We are continuing this Going Rogue series, and some of you are following this in small groups as well. And then just to remind you that there are daily Bible reading notes online at timberlinechurch.org so that every day you can continue your journey um, looking at these characters. Uh, This weekend, the title of the message is Escaping the Prison of Offense. Escaping the Prison of Offense. And we're we're looking at a lady whose name is spelled M-I-C-H-A-L, It looks like Michael, she's the wife of David, but in the Hebrew, her name is pronounced Michal, Michal. And we're going to read from 2 Samuel 6 in just a moment. How many of you have ever seen one of those Indiana Jones movies? Just raise your hand. You're not going to come forward to repent. It's okay. Uh, Indiana Jones, you will perhaps remember from those movies, the Ark of the Covenant plays a big part, and it's a terrifying Thing. Well, that idea is borrowed from the story of Israel. They had the Ark of the Covenant. It was not that God was in the box. Don't ever try and put God in a box. That won't work. But the box was a symbol of the presence of God. They carried it with them into battle. It was a centerpiece in their, in their worship system. And the ark was captured by their enemies, the Philistines. They went to get it back unsuccessfully. And then finally, King David hears that there's another opportunity to bring the ark back to um, Jerusalem. So here's what happens, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and bought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David... Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she said, Praise God, honey, this is absolutely wonderful that you are worshipping the Lord in this way. I am thrilled. May I come and join you? Doesn't say that, does it? And I'm not messing with Scripture. It would have been nice if it had said that. But it, would, it rather says she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, How distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar fellow might do. David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord, yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own own eyes." But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire 
life. I quite like to um, please my wife Kay whenever I can. I know most of you have not met her, but I married really well. Um, I married up, I think, and I know that because um, every now and again I glance at photos of our wedding, and it was back in the 70s. Does anyone remember the, the 70s when a fashion demon roamed the earth? and mugged various people, and we garbed ourselves in the most atrocious things. And I look at the wedding photographs, and despite the fashions, Kay looks beautiful. I know I'm biased, but she looks beautiful, and I look like geek of the year. It's, it's just horrendous. And people look at, friends come by to our home, and they see the wedding photo, and they, they just turn to Kay, and they say, why? Why? So I like to please her. I'm, I'm very grateful to her. Uh, but it didn't go so well when she asked me if we could take ballroom dancing lessons. She said, I, I think that would be kind of fun. And I thought that would be as, about as fun as a root canal. See, um, the coordination of my limbs is not, is, is not a strength of mine. People say to us living in Colorado, do you snow ski? Not so much snow skiing more a downhill spasm, ladies and gentlemen, when I come down the hill. So my dancing isn't really very wonderful. This is a story of a big celebration, and dancing is involved. King David is delighted because the ark of the Lord is finally home, and it's a very exciting day. It, it, it's not somber. It, it, there's a lot of shouting and the sounds of trumpets. This is, this is Jewish Full-on celebration. I often wonder what it would have been like if British, if Britain had been chosen to be that nation. The celebrations would have been a bit different. Not quite so loud. You know, if it had been British people at Jericho, Joshua would have said, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And we would have said, Do we have to? Could we not just say, oh, you naughty walls of Jericho, you're coming down? It's, such, it's an exciting day. There's lots of shouting. And then not only that, but did you notice, as they're coming into Jerusalem, every six steps, they stop and offer a sacrifice. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop right there, build an altar, let's offer a sacrifice. And they do all of that, and they go through all of that, and not in the opposite direction, but I, I haven't got the room. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop right there. Let's do the whole thing again. Can you imagine how long that took? The sound of Jewish children screaming, are we there yet? <laughs> was probably absolutely deafening. And then David is dancing before the Lord. And this is not like a little polite little hop, you know. I thought that was rather fluid there myself. <laughs> The word in the Hebrew means to separate the limbs. The guy's going ballistic. This is like John Travolta on a hot grill. I mean, he is really going for it. It's a wonderful party. But there's one person who misses the party. The party. Not the putty. The party. Mikal. She misses out. And she's listed as a rogue because she's usually listed as a rogue. 99 out of every 100 sermons, including some of my own in the past, portray her as just bad, critical, offended. But as we're going to see, as we look at her life, she was also a victim. 
but she became offended. So let's have a look at this. If you're following in the bulletin, let's dive in. Number one, let's know that hurt people hurt people. Let's know that hurt people hurt people. Look at what the Bible says. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, was in love with David. This goes back to the beginning of their relationship. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I'll give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. She, this poor woman, was used by the two most important men in her life, her father and her husband. Her dad was unpredictable, crazy. There were times when her dad would just impulsively get angry and, and throw javelins at David to try and kill him. Can you, can you imagine that kind of daddy? You know, you're, you're sitting at the table and suddenly, made you jump, honey. It's the kind of guy, but just multiplied, just so unpredictable. She's the second choice as well for David. Uh, Merab, her elder sister, was promised to David and then given to somebody else in marriage. She's second choice. And when she announces her love for David, daddy doesn't say, congratulations, honey, what can I get you? Do you need a new toaster? No, he says, you're going to be a snare. She'll be a snare to him. She is being used Saul wants to get rid of David, and so he tells David, go and kill a bunch of the enemy, and then you can have my daughter, believing that David's going to die in the process. She is used. Then she's abandoned by David for between 10 and 14 years. During that time, he marries two other women. Then he decides to come back, but politically he needs her in his life again. But by now, she's been given again by her dad to another man, but it looks like they're in love. She's remarried, but David comes back and says, I want my wife back. And there's this tragic moment in the Bible when her new husband, Paltiel, he weeps all the way to the palace as they take her back to David. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. She's not just offended. She's been bruised. And there's a difference. She's been bruised. I think before we move on, let's just remind ourselves that everyone has a story. That everyone has a story. And we can be so quick to jump and, and criticize. But when you dig in and you see the story... There's more than what immediately meets the eye. Secondly, when we look out, remember to look in. When we look out, remember to look in. Second Samuel 6 says she was filled with contempt for David. Now, we've already said she was thoroughly bruised, but hold on a minute. He's worshiping God. He's doing the right thing, and now she's judging him. Now, let me just make one point about judgment. I often hear Christians these days, they quote the scripture, judge not that you be not judged. And the idea is that if anybody, especially a pastor, says that's wrong based on scripture, well, that's being judgmental, isn't it? No, that's wrong. Because you see, the Bible is full of righteous judgments. The church in Corinth were judged because of their immoral behavior. John the Baptist judged the people with his sermons. Jesus judged the Pharisees with his rebuke for their 
plastic religious behavior. It isn't that we are to never say that something is wrong. In a culture that bows down daily to the altar of tolerance, it's important that we understand that. What this is talking about is that judgment which is blind, which, which fails to notice our own issues, which exaggerates and focuses on somebody else's. The Hebrew word here where it says that she felt contempt for him, to scorn, to make vile. Do you remember, do you remember that story that Jesus told about the person who notices a speck in somebody else's eye and then doesn't realize that they're walking around with a plank sticking out of their eye. I'm going to try and do this. I did this last night. I got five splinters, so I'm doing this for you people. Um, but this ridiculous picture, and by the way, I'm reliably informed that humor has changed over the last 2,000 years. So when Jesus told this story, um, commentators say that the people would have been falling around laughing because of the ridiculous picture of a man with a plank sticking out of his eye. Obviously, from the expressions on your faces, humor has changed somewhat in the last couple of millennium. But here is this notion of, of ignoring what's going on in our lives. Kent Hughes says, we find it so easy to turn a microscope on another person's sin, but we look at ours through the wrong end of a telescope. A couple of months ago, we were back in England with some friends, and... Um, uh, we, were at, we were out having breakfast at this uh, quite nice English restaurant and it was quite sedate and dignified and uh, the music was playing, nice music in the background in this restaurant and then suddenly the music started to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star but like an electronic version that they play you when you're on hold to talk to the dentist. You know what I'm talking about? Well, they played it through once, and we thought, that's kind of weird, but then it played it through again, and again, and again, and again, and again, for about 10 minutes. And we're like, what is going on here? This is weird music. And British people, you know, we don't like to make a fuss. So what we do is we, we complain by using other methods, like rolling our eyes and, and making horsey noises. <laughs> and we exchange knowing glances around the restaurant, like, you know, so I thought, this is crazy, and no one was saying anything about it because we don't like to make a fuss. And so uh, I, I called this lovely guy over the server, and I said, excuse me. I said, what's with the twinkle, twinkle little star music? And he said, that is strange, sir. I'll, I'll go and check the CD. So he went out and changed the CD, and different music came in. But then twinkle, twinkle little star is still playing. And I'm thinking, this is satanic. What is going on? Suddenly, the server looked down at the handbag of one of our friends at our table. And he said, sir, the music's coming from this handbag. She had her phone in her bag. She had one of those apps for children. And it had clicked on. And the music was coming from us. <laughs> now, the sighs and the rolling eyes around the restaurant were transformed into expressions of pathological hatred towards me who have complained but the music was our problem that can happen to us in fact we focus on other people's issues someone said often if you spot it you got it 
We focus on the things in others that we recognize in ourselves, but we're just not conscious of it. Let's watch that. Number three. Number three, monitor any heart murmur. Monitor any heart murmur. This all started in her self-talk. Look, she despised him in her heart in the NIV translation. That's self-talk. How's your self-talk? That, that, you know what self-talk is? It's that internal dialogue that, that you're having right now. Like, you're thinking, I wonder if it's going to carry on snowing today. You're thinking, nice cowboy boots, probably slippery in the snow. You're thinking, I wonder if he really does wear those with shorts, you're thinking. They say that we think 60,000 thoughts a day. I don't know how they know that. I don't know who's counting. But how's your self-talk? Because it began in her heart, that murmuring. Do, do we go around internally muttering? Mark Twain said, nothing so needs reforming as other people's habits. And sometimes this is fueled by arrogance. We just think we're better. The person who says, how can I soar with the eagles while I'm surrounded by these turkeys? Oh, it sounds clever. It's arrogant. How healthy is our self-talk? Number four. Number four, don't get over-enthusiastic about correction. Don't get over-enthusiastic about correction. Look at this. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. Man. She's keen. She's an enthusiast when it comes to being critical. I've been a pastor for a long time now, and I've met Christians like that. They've been offended since birth. They got upset with the midwife. Don't you slap me, honey. They love getting offended in church. Um, You probably noticed I like to use humor. I think it's a good idea. How many believe? I believe it's a good idea for Christians to laugh prior to death. It's a good thing. But every now and again, I get in trouble for that. Not here, because you kind of got used to it, um, but occasionally here, actually. Um, actually, quite often. No, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but, you know, there are some Christians who don't believe that it's appropriate to laugh. You know, they've got joy, but it's deep. And I, I went to preach at this church, and I, I, I won't tell you uh, where it was in, in case you're Canadian. And I went to this church, and I preached in the morning and used some humor, and I, I thought it went pretty good. And I, I went back to preach that night, and there was an anonymous letter, a note on the pulpit as I walked up to the pulpit. I'm just about to preach, and it's open so I can read it. If you ever want to communicate with me, don't ever send me an anonymous letter. I won't read it. I figure if someone hasn't got the courage to sign something, they shouldn't send it. Would you say amen? Amen. Thanks for that. So anyway, how many of you would like to know what the anonymous letter said? Confess your nosiness right now. I've got it it memorized because it cut deep. It said, uh, sir, we would see Jesus and not your comedy act and nonsensical gibberish. You can't win souls to Jesus that way. You are not a preacher. You are a comedian. You have missed your calling. And now I've got to preach. And I'm looking out there thinking, where is that buzzard? (laughs) Coming out to meet you. And some people are like that. They get offended about their past. They get offended about what's going on currently. And then they get prophetically offended. 
You know, like the friend who comes over who doesn't ever help with the dishes when they come for dinner, and you decide that they're probably not going to help with the dishes this time. So you're offended, and then they mess it all up because they help with the dishes. Let's not be over-enthusiastic and see being critical as being always noble. Theodore Roosevelt said this. It's a lengthy quote, but it's worth it. It's not the critic who counts, not the one who points out how the strong person stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends themselves in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if they fail, at least they fail while daring greatly, so that their place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Don't get over-enthusiastic about correcting people. Is correcting people your hobby? Take up fly fishing. Do something else. Number five. Number five, when you see a mistake, consider the motive. When you see a mistake, consider the motive. Look at this. Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Now, first of all, David was wearing a linen ephod. He'd stripped himself of his royal robes. It was an act of humility. But commentators agree that it is highly likely, with all of that separating the limbs dancing, that there might have been a moment of immodesty during the dancing. But you see, Michal doesn't see the beauty of worship, the ark is home. It's almost like all she can see is that momentary mistake. Let me say this. Offense looks for confirmation of its suspicions and edits out contradictions. What does that mean? It means that we tend to only notice that which confirms our judgment and opinion and then when people act in a way that is contrary to what we think they're going to act like we kind of just don't notice but she jumps in and ignores the motive and it's like gotcha again here's the challenge are you a are you a gotcha person number six number six let's realize that we're not always right we're not always right. You see, David affirms what he's doing. He says to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. Frankly, that was a fairly, in fact, it was a massively insensitive response. But he's right. But she doesn't change her mind. She doesn't join the party. She stays where she is. She won't respond. When's the last time that we were wrong? Because some of us go through life 
fixated with the idea that the universe would explode if we actually confessed that we were wrong. Number seven, don't allow specks to grow into planks. Don't allow specks to grow into planks. You see, it hadn't always been this way. Look at 1 Samuel 18. Now Saul's David Michal was in love with David. You see, originally there'd been love, but now, now that had eroded. In the um, plank and speck story, the word in the New Testament is a similar word. It's a word play. The, Jesus wants us to know that planks are made up with specks. Lots and lots of millions of specks in this plank. And if we ignore specks of offense, they'll eventually grow into planks of offense. Where's it all going in our lives? Well, the last point is this, number eight. And that is, division is established when offense builds offense. When offense builds offense. It says here, Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. That's not because of the judgment of God. Be careful with that. It's most likely because the love was completely killed between them. They're never going to be together as husband and wife in the same way. No more children from their union. There is a fence that is built between them. Uh, Over the years, I've often talked, I've been doing this now for 17 years, and I've often talked about my wife Kay. I talked about her um, earlier in this message, but most of you have never met her. You're not even sure she exists. I might have made her up. And so I I decided to invite Kay uh, to come and help me with this. Would you give Kay uh, a welcome, please? Hey, honey, thank you. uh, Hello doing this. Uh, I know that I only ask you uh, to do this about half an hour before last night's service. And um, you're looking a little nervous, if I can say so. Well, to be honest, Jeff, I'm looking at all this wood and I'm thinking, are you going to try something practical here? Because you know that never goes very well. I know from experience. Appreciate the confidence, honey, in front of all these people. That's really, that's really good. Oh, but hold on a sec. Something, no, something, no, I don't think so. something in your, could you just go stand behind there, there's a speck in your eye, we need to sort that out. Um, I'm now going to make my wife disappear. <laughs> David Copperfield, eat your heart out, Statue of Liberty, ah, it's going to happen right here in uh, Timberline. You see, here's, here's what happens, and I'm borrowing this illustration from Stephen Furtick, a brilliant writer and preacher, I saw him do this when preaching on this passage. Um, You sure you want to do this? Be afraid. Very afraid. I'm very afraid. I'm praying. Uh, Okay. So uh, here's what happens. Um, Something irritates me uh, and the speck becomes a plank uh, and the next thing that happens here is... uh, That's loud. Not going too well, Jeff? (laughs) Cameron, I think you should assist. <laughs> Please. And, and, and then the, the second thing, honey, is, you know, when I, was, when I was talking to you yesterday, I'm sure you weren't listening when I was, was talking, and, and there goes another 
fence panel right there. And, and, then, uh, and then also, you know, I've got to tell you that um, your mother didn't call me back when I called her. And I'm, I'm thinking she, she doesn't like me. So there, there goes another uh, panel. And then, not only that, honey, but when we had breakfast the other day, you made me eat grits. And that is evil. And uh, we also had iced tea. And we know that's demonic. So there goes... Uh, there goes an, another panel right there. And, uh, and then also, you trod on my foot during that ballroom dancing lesson. That was really not very good. And I know it's kind of embarrassing in front of all these people, but someone was snoring like a rhino last night. And it might have... How are you doing back there? Are you okay? I'm good. All right. Um, Thank you. And then, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I can't see you quite so well. And then also fixing your hair. I mean, you know, my hairstyle takes 10 seconds to fix, and yours takes a little longer, and so I was a little late for church this morning, and that was kind of irritating. Another one goes in. And so what you see, ladies and gentlemen, what you see is what's happening in some relationships right now. can't see her anymore a fence let's build a fence is that happening in that marriage is that happening in that friendship is that what you're building at work if you're in the workplace What can we do? Let's take a couple of those offenses off of there, Cameron, if we could. What could we do? Well, there's a difference between being bruised and being offended. When we're bruised, it might take some lengthy help to move us forward. But some of us, it's not about bruising. It's just about that's the way we just do offend it. That's kind of what we do. And if that's the way we are, why don't we take our offenses to the one who took our offense upon himself? Our time is gone, but I, I want to tell you, I have a deep sense of the presence of God in here. I don't even know what that actually means, but I just know, I know, I know that around the room, God is gently at work. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask you, Lord, to help us as we read the story of a woman who was so bruised. We pray, first of all, for those who have experienced such deep bruising and their woundedness 
has maybe spanned years, even decades. We bring them to you in our prayers. We ask you to help them, to lift up their heads, to bring healing and help to them. We pray also, Lord, for ourselves, for those of us who we just kind of do that. We get offended. It's the way we do life now. We pray for marriages that have been bruised by this, where fences have been built. And we pray that somehow today, it might be the beginning of a new season. Why don't we whisper our own prayers to the Lord? Ask for his help. Pray especially right where we are about that situation that really needs grace, where it's so difficult. Lord, as we look in the mirror of your word, help us, we pray. We agree together in Jesus' name. Amen.